We have been journeying with Jesus to the cross. And this is Palm Sunday, but because of how we've been doing this, we did Palm Sunday weeks ago. Uh, we, we went through Jericho and Bethany. We did Palm Sunday. We went to the Temple Mount, went to the upper room. Last week, we went to Gethsemane, where Jesus prepared himself what was, for what was going to happen. He was betrayed with a kiss and given to the authorities. And, and so often in our services, then we, we almost skip right to the cross. Or a lot of times we do Maundy Thursday, which is about the upper room, maybe Gethsemane. And then if we don't have a Good Friday service, we jump right to Easter. So we jump to the resurrection. Even if we have Good Friday, we often miss the seven or eight hours between the betrayal and uh, when Jesus is actually crucified at about nine in the morning. So, so I want to unpack that time period today. It's a little mysterious, a little unclear, sometimes confusing. Um, some of it we don't know and we can only guess at, but, but what I want to take a look at what takes Jesus from being arrested to being convicted, to going to the cross. So, so let's, let's get a big picture first. Fundamentally, Jesus goes through two major trials. One is a Jewish trial, okay, a religious or a local trial, and one is a Roman trial. Okay? And, and so there's the Jewish trial and the Roman trial, but, but then uh, there's actually three trials or three mini hearings in each of those trials for a six of all. Okay, so under the, the Jewish authority, the religious trials, there's a hearing in front of Annas, in front of Caiaphas, and then in front of the whole Sanhedrin. Then they take Jesus to the Roman authority, which is Pilate. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. So all in all, Jesus gets two main trials, but three sort of hearings or mini trials in each side. So let's walk through these, imagining the scenes and considering more closely what Jesus is being accused and convicted of. Now, now at the time, Rome had this really large empire. It was most of the, the Mediterranean Sea. And so um, they couldn't possibly rule everybody like every part of society. So what they would do is they would often have local governments rule sort of local things and, and local religions take care of the local religions, religious things. And then the Romans would have authorities that uh, would be the go-between between local authorities and um, Rome. And so they had leaders. Sometimes they're called kings. Other times they're given different titles. Um, but they would handle these sort of larger issues mainly to be sure that these local governments and local religious authorities don't rebel against Rome. They keep everybody in line. So the, the chief priest and the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, they could deal with issues of, of, of religion, of uh, civil disorder. We, and we, we kind of remember there's not a separation of church and state the way we think about it. Uh, the religious law was the civil law. So the highest authority was the Sanhedrin, led by the high priest. Most of the time, they could deal uh, with any kind of issue. The only thing they couldn't do is, uh, most of the time in, in this history, they couldn't give out the death penalty. So they could beat somebody, whip somebody, banish somebody, but they could not have someone killed. Only the Romans had the power of life and death. 
Okay, and the temple itself even had its own sort of police force to enforce the Jewish law. So the priests and the Jewish authority uh, decide that they need to get rid of Jesus. They, they decide he's getting too popular, he's getting too important, but, they, but they've got some problems. First, Jesus is popular. They fear arresting him in front of the crowds, and, and there are thousands of people in the crowds at the time of Passover. And if they, they whip him or beat him and they let him live, um, the, the crowds might turn on them. So they decide they've, they've got to kill Jesus, and they, they go and arrest Jesus quietly. This, uh, this leads to a second problem, though. They knew whatever they did, they were going to have to get Roman permission to do it. The Romans were going to have to do the death sentence. And besides, they didn't want to be in, to blame by themselves. They wanted Rome to take some of the, uh, the guilt and some of the bullseye for anyone who might react to this popular figure being killed. So, so in Gethsemane, a large group of Roman soldiers, as well as some of these temple police or guards, go with Judas to, to arrest Jesus. And, and probably uh, the, the term John uses, there could be several hundred Roman soldiers that go with Judas to find, uh, who find Jesus. And, and they probably have seen Jesus before. Uh, remember when he cleared out the temple earlier in the week? They're probably aware of who he is. But uh, there were probably lots of people camping out on uh, the Mount of Olives that day. So they want to make sure they get the right person. So in the dark, a lot of other people, Judas comes to be sure they get the right person. And first, they take Jesus to a man named Annas. Annas is basically the high priest emeritus. He was the high priest from AD 6 to AD 15. Five of his sons would end up being high priests. And Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, was actually his son-in-law. Okay, so he's a very important figure. And... Um, uh, you know, sort of the authority that they go to to try to handle this delicate situation. Uh, he, so he doesn't have direct authority, but he, he's a very influential figure. And so they first take Jesus to him. We'll see this happen again in, uh, in the book of Acts. Annas actually has a, presides over hearing for Peter and for John. But so, so Annas kind of hears the case, hears all the details, and decides, yes. Uh, we really probably should deal with this situation. And so Jesus is transported from Annas's house to Caiaphas's house. Now the text implies that Peter is hanging out. He's followed Jesus kind of uh, in secret with the crowd. And um, so Peter is there and, he, and he's in the courtyard when they transfer from Annas's house to Caiaphas's house, which is weird, you know, that you could just stay in a courtyard. But remember their family. So probably it's, it's either the courtyard of one large house, and Caiaphas has part of the house, or it's some kind of compound of houses that belong to the family. So, so Jesus is then taken before Caiaphas, and let me pick up the story in Matthew 26, 57 to 68. Then those who seized him, who seized Jesus, led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? 
But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. And they spit on his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now, there's a lot of debate about exactly where this place is. There's a traditional site there that might be the right site, um, but it does help show the importance and the, the uh, sort of the feel of uh, this moment. There's an old house in Jerusalem that has a dungeon below it that it's believed could possibly be the house of Caiaphas. Okay, and what, so there was a dungeon in the basement, and uh, Caiaphas would then uh, be able to hear cases and, and have people held there. It, it's the, the church that's currently there was built in 1931 over an old crusader church. It's called the Church of St. Peter in Galicantu. Galicantu means rooster crowing. So if you look at this chapel, remember, Peter denies Jesus at the courtyard of this house. And so if you see the sign to the church, uh, it has a rooster on it. If you look closely at the top of the church, you can see that there's a, a uh, rooster on the peak of the church. There's a stone path behind the church leading up or down the hill, depending on which way you're going. And it's original to the first century. So you can imagine Jesus being tied up, brought up that path, heading to the house of Annas and then Caiaphas. The dungeon below the church would be the place where prisoners could be held while uh, Caiaphas and uh, the other scribes and elders would judge cases. There's a hole going down into the dungeon where prisoners would be lowered. And if you look on the side of that building, you can see a painting of Jesus with a rope sort of wrapped around him. You would lower the prisoner in and then bring the prisoner back up and then maybe lower him down again so you could deliberate some more and bring them back up. Pilgrims today now go down into that area, down, down in the uh, dungeon. There's a staircase now. You don't have to get lowered. And uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of leading a trip there was, was our very own Dave Wilson reading a psalm in that space with his nice deep voice from Psalm 88. Here's a couple, let me just read a couple verses. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down in the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one who is set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and the deep. So imagine Jesus lowered into this area as they are making false accusations up above about him, brought up to answer more questions, brought back down while they deliberate. And what are the accusations that they're making against him? Well, generally, you heard in the text, the, the big word they keep using is blasphemy. People complain that Jesus said he could forgive sins, that he was one with the Father. They didn't like that he said he was the resurrection and the life. Only God could claim these kind of things. And to do so was blasphemy. Well, unless they were true. But Annas, Caiaphas, and the priests have a problem. 
Remember Jesus' popularity. His miracles are well known, especially the more recent raising of Lazarus from the dead. Up until this point, Peter had followed in the crowd trying to see what was going to happen. But, but it's out here that he denies Jesus, uh, just as Jesus predicted that he would. Now, why would, why would he deny Jesus? Well, Jesus is on trial inside. Okay, and they're looking for witnesses. And so if he says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, he's going to get hauled in there. And uh, he's going to have to bear witness to what Jesus, who Jesus was. And if he tells the truth in there, he's probably going to suffer the same fate that they're trying to give to Jesus. So Peter denies him. Somehow managing to make eye contact with Jesus and runs off in shame. In the meantime, when the case seems pretty clear, the entire Sanhedrin is gathered. Sanhedrin is like the Jewish high court. It's the highest court that the, the, the Jewish people had before something had to get kicked over to the Roman side. There were 71 members of the Sanhedrin, uh, one of which was the head of the Sanhedrin, who was the high priest, or Caiaphas. Annas had done it years before him. So they would gather in an area called the Chamber of the Hewn Stone. It was part of the temple, okay, one of the side rooms of the temple itself, in the middle of the Temple Mount. They would gather to discuss uh, around uh, uh, and, and make uh, judgments on cases. And they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. The challenge then is they want to make sure Jesus dies for blasphemy. The Old Testament had actually said those who are blasphemous uh, should be stoned, but they're not allowed to do that. So they've got to now get the Romans involved in getting Jesus executed. The problem is the Romans are not going to execute anybody for blaspheming the local religious rules. Okay, they're not going to get involved like that. Okay, crucifixion was... was um, a, a terrible thing that the Romans had, and it was a way of putting down rebels. Okay, you're crucified for sedition. Okay, and crucifixion was this very big public statement. This is what happens when you practice sedition, when you go against Rome. So the Sanhedrin bring Jesus to the local authority, um, the, who's named Pontius Pilate, but they, they, they can't just say blasphemy. They're, they're going to have to make the argument that Jesus is anti-Rome. Now, Pilate ruled Judea and Samaria from the year about 19 to the year 37 A.D. In in the Bible, he seems kind of like a passive character. In reality, from other um, sources, we know he was a very corruptible ruler with bribes, insults, robberies, and executions without trial being regular parts of his his work. Pilate was, was a rough guy. He lived in the town of Caesarea Maritima, but he would, he would come to Jerusalem for the major festivals, particularly one like Passover. Because Passover is about f- the people being free from Egyptian rule, this was a time when, when rebellion was in the air, right? When the zealots, when those who wanted to, to really um, uh, be revolutionary against Rome would get excited. Now, According to the Via della Rosa that, that uh, um, the Crusaders developed to mark the path of Jesus going to the cross, um, Pilate was staying in the Antonia Fortress, which is uh, this four-towered fortress that was next to the Temple Mount. Uh, we, we know historically that's, that's not true, um, or almost certainly not true. That would have been a barracks. 
and uh, Pilate would never have lowered himself to stay in the barracks. He was probably over in a, uh, a, a palace made by Herod the Great in what is today the citadel um, in uh, Jerusalem. And so the, probably the path the pilgrims take in Jerusalem is wrong. Uh, really, it was where uh, Pilate would have started on the other side of town at the citadel. John 18.28 tells us that the priests would not enter Pilate's residence during Passover because they didn't want to defile themselves, which I find so ironic. They make Pilate come outside to hear the case because they don't want to defile themselves in Pilate's home while they get someone killed. Okay, there, there's a, there's a uh, it's kind of a conflict there. So Pilate hears the case. I think pretty clearly and pretty quickly, Pilate said, understands that guilt, Jesus is not guilty of sedition. I mean, the, the testimony is clearly false. Even if he's guilty of some things, uh, it doesn't rise to near the level for Pilate of crucifixion. So uh, Pilate in the text kind of seems wishy-washy, like he's not sure or he's indecisive. But, but understand the dilemma that he's in. Okay? He knows that Jesus shouldn't be crucified. But here's the Jewish authority on this week where they have a whole bunch of people in town really demanding that Pilate deal with this character. Okay, if he doesn't if he doesn't deal with Jesus, then they could incite a riot. They've already got crowds of people there ready to do so. And so he, he's really kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, he, he he's not easily getting out of this dilemma. So he doesn't think Jesus is guilty. He can see he doesn't deserve crucifixion, but he sort of has his hands forced. So Pilate tries three different political maneuvers to try to remedy the situation, really pretty brilliantly, though they don't work. First, upon hearing that Jesus is from Galilee, he sends um, Jesus over to Herod Antipas. Okay, Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great, who's basically... Pilate's counterpart in the Galilee and Perea region to the north. Okay, and, and Herod had come in for Passover as well, probably staying in uh, what's called the Hasmonean Palace. It's kind of a family palace um, from Herod's family. Now, Herod had almost surely uh, heard of Jesus by this time, but he hadn't really interacted with Jesus. He was, he's more known for his interactions with John the Baptist, who he eventually had beheaded. Uh, so uh, Herod sees Jesus. He, he asks Jesus for a miracle. He almost seems to think that, that maybe Jesus is John the Baptist reincarnated or something. He's trying to sort of place this out. He asks for uh, a sign. And um, there, there's a great scene in Jesus Christ Superstar where Herod sings a song about, uh, you know, come on, king of the Jews. He wants, wants to see the sign. Jesus won't do it. And Herod is not walking in to the landmine of a political situation this is. So he just simply defers to Pilate, defers back to Pilate. No, this is in your area that this is happening. Uh, you can go ahead and deal with it. So the Herod idea didn't work. Pilate tries a second idea, second strategy. Now more hopeful to free Jesus after his wife has told him a dream about Jesus' innocence. Pilate decides to give the crowd some blood, to scourge him with a whip, 
put a crown of thorns on his head, put a robe around him and sort of mock him. He's trying to, he's hoping that if he just appeases the crowd's need for punishment and for judgment, then maybe they won't demand his death. Doesn't work either. The priests are adamant. This man must die. The crowds are adamant. So Pilate tries one more last move. At Passover, there was always a public crucifixion. Kind of a reminder to the people on this, on this special holiday where you remember your freedom. Do you remember who's really in charge still? It's the Romans. But as a demonstration of Rome's benevolence, they had an amnesty tradition where they would let a prisoner go. And so Jesus decide, Pilate decides to, to, to try to, one last attempt, he gives the crowd a ridiculous decision. Do you want Jesus to be freed, or do you want Barabbas? Barabbas was a robber, a murderer, and a rebel. And the crowd there that are probably mainly people who uh, came with the priests and were there because of the priests demand that Barabbas be free. Matthew 27, 24 says, So when Pilate saw that, they were, that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Now, I don't think Pilate can simply wash his hands, right? I mean, he knows this person's innocent, and he's letting the political situation dictate what he's going to do. Um, but you can see the dilemma for, for Pilate when he sees there's going to be a riot. He goes with what uh, he thinks the crowd is only going to... He's tried multiple ways to get Jesus out of this. And so he goes ahead and sentences Jesus to death. Now, many, as we've looked at these, at these um, trials, many have tried to say that the, oh, look, the Jews killed Jesus. And it's become this very anti-Semitic thing historically to say this. Um, now, this sort of forgets that Jesus was a, was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. That not everyone in Jerusalem was involved in this crowd. In fact, many people probably slept in that day because of a late-night Passover celebration and woke up to be very surprised to find this popular rabbi hanging from a cross. No, I, I don't think we should use this to say that the Jews killed Jesus. I, but I've also heard our people argue that, well, the, the Jewish authority didn't kill Jesus. The Roman authority actually killed Jesus. And I don't think that quite buys off on the argument either. I think Pilate can wash his hands all he wants, and he did do it. But I, I think the crowd is implicit. And, and I, I think it's important to say that because the reality is we are all complicit it's like both groups are at fault you and i are at fault we are complicit in the death of jesus he goes there like a silent lamb to the slaughter through all these false accusations that he did nothing to deserve this not because he's guilty he goes to the cross because we're guilty we're the ones that should be on trial and yet jesus is on trial for us and yet on the way there's this certain irony to the story Jesus is convicted of blasphemy for things that he said that would be blasphemy if they were wrong. But if they're true, and he was the Son of God, if he does take away sins, then, then in a way, even in mockery, even in false accusations, they're actually telling the truth. Remember, he, he's 
called a king. He's given a crown of thorns and a purple robe. There's a sign put over his head on the cross that declares he's the king of the Jews. And all this stuff done in mockery and accusation. Ironically, the truth is made known. So remember. Remember that you put him there. And that his love for you held him there. And may you recognize him as Savior, as King, and as Lord, as so many couldn't on that day.